All right, let's jump in. Uh, let's jump in. So here we are. Uh, at this point, we're about 20 years into the story of Joseph. So if you are uh, new to Refuge, uh, we, we do expository preaching, verse-by-verse preaching through the text. And so we have been in Genesis for quite a while now, and we have found ourselves in Genesis chapter 44. And the story of Joseph is a pretty long one, multiple chapters that it takes through Genesis. And we're about 20 years uh, uh, in the story of Joseph from the time that he was sold by his brothers. Now, don't just let that stop, but let that sink in again. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. They, uh, they wanted to kill him. If you'll remember part of the story, I mean, they all wanted to kill him. And finally, somebody came to their senses and said, you know, instead of killing him, let's just sell it. That's the story that where this kind of all kicked off. And so, uh, so they sold him into slavery. And, and so during this time, we, uh, 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 we, we learned that God was dealing with Joseph. Back in chapter 39, specifically, we see him doing some things with Joseph, but he was also doing some things with his brothers. And he was really dealing with his brothers in a very different way. Uh, God really never let their conscience rest. He just didn't let it rest. He didn't let it rest that they had sold their brother into slavery. So all these, through these other chapters, we've kind of seen those, uh, uh, those things happen. And you don't have to say amen if you know what it's like to say for God to not let your conscience rest. Amen. Yeah, it, you, it, it's tough, right? He sometimes just doesn't let us rest for some things that are going on in our life. And so what we see is uh, from his first visit in chapter 42, um, God graced the brothers with guilt and fear and sorrows. What, what do you mean he graced them with that, preacher? Uh, well, what it means is, one, uh, they knew they were guilty already. They, they had sold their brother into slavery. Um, their fear that they had of, of kind of what was happening and, and the fact that the pandemic had come, or not, uh, not the pandemic, but the, uh, the famine had come, uh, was really a, uh, was a godly fear. They, they knew that they needed God to sustain them. And, and they were honestly grieved over the effects of their sin. I mean, I mean they had sold their brother into slavery. And, and as we read through, you can hear it, you almost hear it in their voice that they were actually grieved over this. And in the middle of this, I believe that grace was really taking shape in their hearts, that, that, that God was really, by his grace, was shaping them and, to for, and forming them and conforming them into the image of his son. See, the question is, do we grieve over our sin? Now, let's get more poignantly, do you grieve over your sin? We all sin. But do you grieve over your sin? Does, does your sin bother you? Does it bother you when you sin? Do you feel like you've grieved the heart of God? Is it, does it change the way that you feel whenever you sin and you continue to sin? You, do you grieve over the way it affects others? Or maybe how it affects you? Or how it affects your relationship with God? They were grieving over their sin. Then on their second visit to Egypt in chapter 43, uh, the, the brothers were kind of greeted with this unexpected mercy. Uh, they, went back to, uh, they went back to Egypt and uh, a Joseph's uh, servant greeted them with, you remember what he said? What did he say? He said, shalom. He said, peace be to you. Like, we're not angry with you as you've come back. 
but they were greeted with peace. And so they were all nervous about going back, and, and, but, but they were greeted uh, they were greeted with peace. They, he assured them that the money that they found in their money bags was, was actually a gift, and, and that and they were told to send that back. And, and even, they even released Simeon. Simeon had been held up and captive to them, and they released Simeon to them, and, and they found themselves actually around uh, the table of the king. Uh, they met Joseph, although Joseph was hiding his... Uh, uh, his identity to them at the time, and they feasted together. They feasted long into the night. That's kind of where we ended. Uh, and the scripture tells us that Joseph was moved to tears as he, as he saw his brother Benjamin. And mercy and grace really were at work there. Mercy and grace both were doing their work at that time. We think of the times when God's mercy and God's grace was active in your life so evident in your life. This week, I want you to tell somebody about that time. This week, I want you to encourage someone with your story, a time when you've seen God's evidence or the evidence of God's grace and mercy in your life. It'll help build your own faith. And honestly, it'll remind you of the kindness of God in your life whenever you begin to share about what he's done. So today in chapter 44, uh, we're going to witness really the life-altering transformation of the brothers. It'll involve their, their conscience being dealt with. It'll involve repentance. It'll involve uh, uh, their enlarged sympathies toward uh, their father and their brother. Uh, it'll involve intercession. Uh, it'll involve sacrifice. It'll involve substitution. And honestly, that's just an ever-growing picture of how this story points us to Jesus. So how does that uh, parallel our own lives? Let's, let's look what it, see, what, what it says in chapter 44. Here's, what it, here's verse 1. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. This is Joseph talking. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain and he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone up only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you rep repaid evil for good? Or the Septuagint actually says, why have you stolen my silver cup? That's actually what it says. But scripture says, why have you repaid evil for good. Is it not from this that you, that my Lord, is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. Uh, he, he, the, the steward said exactly what uh, Joseph told them to say. Uh, and then it says uh, uh, this in verse seven. Then he said to them, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal sil silver or gold from silver or gold uh, from, from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. So they're being very bold in their response. He said, let it be as you said. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So we'll stop right there for just a second. Um, 
So we ended last week's text with the brothers again. They were kind of eating and drinking to excess. And, um, and, and so they, they went, they, they had a great time together. And, and at, the, at the end of that, Joseph and his steward set them up. And so if you'll remember, uh, Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, and now Joseph was placing a silver cup in the bag. I like the way the Bible is put together. It kind of ties things together like that. Uh, so when the, when, when, uh, when the sun came up, the brothers were kind of gathering their things. Uh, they rose from their sleep, and they saddled their donkeys, and they were headed back to Canaan. And uh, it reminds me of the last day of vacation. You know, you know what the last day of vacation? You've been to the beach all week, and you know, you're, you're there, and you're tired from it all, and you're, you're trying to figure out whose stuff is what, and you're like, whose clothes belong to who, and, and are these mine, are these yours, did, did we come with this, or are we going home with all our stuff yet or not? Or, and then you get to the fridge, and you're like, do we take this stuff with us? Do we leave it here? Do we throw it away? I'm a guy that always likes to take it home, but you know what I'm saying? I'm like, put that milk over... Put that half gallon of milk over in that cooler, drop some ice on it, put those, put those three Diet Cokes in there too. I'm sure we'll need those. And that half, those little crumbs of uh, Cheez-Its, uh, Carol's going to want those for the ride home. Uh, so just put those in the front seat. You know, I mean, all, the, all those things that you have to, decisions to make. That's kind of what I picture as they're getting ready to go home. And so they're headed back home and and I'm sure they're really happy about all the stuff that had transpired. I mean, I mean, they had a party together. They had their grain sacks were full and bulging with grain. And uh, they had picked up their brother Simeon, who had, who had, had uh, stayed after the first time they were there. Benjamin was with them. And they didn't get far outside the city, though, when uh, Joseph Steward tracked them down. And he levied this accusation. And look again what it said in verse 4. They had gone up to short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the man, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Uh, is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. And so, um, just a sidebar here. Uh, 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 Egyptians practiced a lot of divination. And so, uh, they really thought Joseph did too, because, you know, he spoke uh, with, with authority and the things that he said came true. And so like the only way that this dude could do this is if he practices divination too. We know that's not what he did. Uh, we know that he uh, trusted the one living God, that he, he trusted God. God was the one who gave him the vision of things. God is the one who gave him the things to say. And so the Egyptians thought that's what he was. Because you remember he had risen to where he was only second in the land, only to Pharaoh. And so they thought if Pharaoh does it, they, he must understand these things from the same way. Way that Pharaoh does them. Uh, it was God who gave him these visions. And so, uh, so we get to the brothers, and the brothers were just indignant when they were charged with this. They were like, what are you talking about? What do you mean that, that we've stolen something? I, I, why would we steal from your house? I mean, we brought back the money that you, that you sent home with us. Why would we do something like this? We're, we're not thieves. And so um, uh, the steward that was with him said, look, if the cup is found, then whoever's going to possess it is going to have to stay here and be a slave. Whoever's got it is going to have to stay, and he's going to be the slave to the Pharaoh at that point. And so this seemed, I guess, reasonable to them. Nobody was going to, they weren't going to kill anybody, only servitude and for the guilty one. And they really weren't worried about it anyway. So they're like, have at it, big boy, you know, look through the sacks. And so uh, the search begins, and it says it went from the oldest to the youngest as they were looking through these uh, sacks. And so that would have been a Reuben, and, and then Simeon, and then Levi, and Judah, and he made it through the first four, didn't find anything. 
nothing in there. And, and then the, the sons of the concubine, remember, there, there were multiple people, multiple women that were, were having uh, babies and that are part of this, part of this group of boys. Uh, that would have been Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. Again, no silver cup. So you're eight of the people. They're down and they hadn't found anything yet. And then we'd have gone to Issachar and Zebulun and, and they would have gotten to them. They would have been like, hey, we're, that's 11 out, of, 11 out of 12 of us, you know, that nobody's... Uh, nobody's, or, or 10 out of 11 of us, uh, and no, no, no sign of this. And so I'm sure they were ready to pack up their bags and get on their horses and head out and, because they were going to be innocent. But then horror came to the scene. The steward gets to Benjamin's sack. And he reaches way down in it, digs around, pulls out a big silver chalice. Mm-hmm. Pulls it out. Finds it. What do you have to say now? Well, Scripture tells us what happened. Scripture says what happened is what we see all throughout Scripture whenever people are lamenting over something that is just devastating them. It says they tore their clothes. I consider tearing mine, but this is a new shirt. Uh, uh, and you don't want to see that. So... Uh, uh, so they uh, tore their clothes, and so they were so distraught over what was happening. Uh, they, were, they were almost in, in a solidarity that they all, the Scripture says that they all tore their clothes. And it's a subtle difference, uh, if you'll remember, but it's significant. Uh, if you'll remember back in the story whenever Joseph was sold to the travelers, who tore their clothes then? Only the father. Only their father tore their clothes. None of the brothers. They, they weren't upset about anything at that point, but at this point, they all did. All the brothers tore their clothes. Were they changing? Were they different now? What were they to do? Were they to just give up Benjamin and just go on back again? Is that what they were to do? Would they abandon their father's favorite, now favorite son? Saved themselves? Actually, that's not what happened at all. These were not the same dudes. These brothers had become different men over this 20-year period. They tore, the scripture says they tore their clothes and they went back to the house where they just came from. Look with me in verse 14. This is what the text says. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? He's trying to scare him again. I always think of like Wizard of Oz. You know, he's, he's pulling some things, you know, and his voice is booming, you know. Um, and anyway, he says, and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, but we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace, go back to your father. And so when the boys got back to him, uh, the scripture tells us that they fell flat on the ground. They were like groveling. They were very much in submission when they went back. 
If you remember, Joseph had dreamed that his brothers would bow down to him. That was part of the thing in the very beginning uh, that, they, uh, that, 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 he, that they would actually bow down to him three times. And each, each one of those times was a bit more intense. Chapter 42, uh, uh, the scripture tells us that the brothers came to Joseph and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So I, I picture they got on his knees you know, and, like this, and, and they got it, and they probably put their faces to the ground like this when they came to him the first time. They were coming to get food. So that's the first time they did it. Scripture says the second time in verse 43, they bowed themselves and prostrated themselves. Uh, so that means that they got on the ground like this and they got flat. Um, so they were flat like this. <coughs> yeah, that's right. I should work out. Where's a good gym? Uh, and now it says in chapter 44, that they fell before him to the ground groveling. And so uh, that's not on your knees, that's not just flat, but that is like, I mean, basic face in the dirt, uh, begging for your life. Uh, You can hear the desperation in their voice as you think through what the text might have said because they were in really bad shape. That's the picture of where they were at this time. Three times, Joseph had had a dream. He told them this is what'll happen. It's part of what made them so mad. And now it's coming true. Joseph's prophecies were coming true. But even as the brothers were groveling in front of him, Joseph maintained his whole persona. This is what he said in verse 15. Joseph said to them, what deed is this you've done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And again, he's not practicing divination. He's just keeping up the facade uh, in front of the people that he had there. And the brothers believed it. The brothers believed whatever he was saying. They believed that he could do something like this. And Judah uh, asked and repeated himself over and over, what shall we say? Uh, what shall we speak? Uh, I mean, it, he, if he had a good Bon Jovi song, it'd, song, it'd be like living on a prayer, you know? Living on a prayer. I mean, they were, uh, they were down to their last uh, hurrah of what in the world are we actually going to do? And then we get to verse 16. Look at verse 16. Because this is the long-awaited piece of where these guys had to get to. They said this, God has found out the guilt of your servants. God has found out. Actually, what that really means is God has revealed the guilt of his servants. Hey, listen. God knows your sin. Okay? Okay? God knows your sin. You're you're not hiding it from him. All the ways in which you're kind of contorting yourself and pretending to live a certain way and, and, and putting the facade on in front of people, you're not hiding it from him. I can't hide it from him. You can't hide it from him. Nobody hides their sins from God. You may hide it from your parents, kids. You may hide it from your spouse. You may hide it from your boss. You can hide it from a litany of people here in this world. You will not, say will not. You will not hide your sins from God. See, God knows everything. And he's either going to punish you for your sins or you're going to do the thing that we preach about every week and put your faith in Jesus who has already taken the punishment for your sins. That's the two options. 
The two options is that God will punish you for your sins and there will be an eternal punishment for you when you move from this life to the next. You'll be separated from the kindness and the grace of God and face the wrath of God for all eternity or you can trust in the finished work of Jesus where the scripture says that God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all and what that means, all of us who believe. Those are the options. You can either face the wrath of God or you can trust in the fact that Jesus has already faced the wrath of God in your place. That's the options. God knows all these things. God found out the guilt of his servants and God knows the guilt of each one of us. The brothers had to put away Jacob's son, Joseph, and now Joseph's brother, Benjamin, would be next. Joseph continued the, kind of the whole story that he was going through, and he said, look, uh, Benjamin's going to be the only one punished, uh, and the rest of you can just walk away. What would you have done in that situation? I mean, what would you have done? Are you someone who will stand in the face of adversity? Are you the person who will speak up on behalf of somebody else? Judah decided enough is enough. He knew he had to intercede for Benjamin's freedom and, 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 and his plea that he gives, he recounts all the things that had happened throughout this entire story. Listen as, to his passionate plea. Look with me in verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. Uh, my Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother and a child of his old age. His brother is dead. They're talking about Joseph. And he said, alone, and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And, and we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, or if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. <clears throat> When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we can't go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we'll go down. For we cannot see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know, my wife bore me uh, two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in, in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he'll die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father for all my life. And so Judah tried to plead with, with, uh, with Joseph. But Joseph knew what he was doing. Joseph, uh, Joseph knew what he was doing. He was listening. He was gaining valuable information from the story that he was being told. For the first time, he heard what happened 20 years earlier when he went back to the father. He learned of his, heart, his father's heartbreaking cry whenever he, when, they, when the brothers went back and told him that he was dead. 
And he was heard that the father couldn't endure the loss of another son. Sons of the, the hated daughter or the hated wife Leah. Remember old weak-eyed Leah? The sons of old weak-eyed Leah. They, they'd come to terms with, with the, the love that, that her father had for Rachel. And so now it's, I mean, it's honestly astounding that the brothers actually loved Benjamin in the way they did after hating Joseph so much 20 years earlier. And the point I think that we have to take from this story is this. Judah didn't want to grieve his father any further. Uh, the brothers' hearts had, had definitely been changed through all this. They, they entered in with Jacob into his sorrow. They, they knew how sorrow and how, how deeply wounded that he would be. That's very different than it was 20 years before that. And by entering into it with him, their hearts were even drawn to their father a little bit more. You know, it's impossible to care for someone and not be drawn to them. It's impossible to truly grieve with someone and not be drawn to them and their story. The brothers now were all operating in solidarity. They were all operating together. They had sorrow for their sin, even against their brother Joseph. They'd forgiven the unfair favoritism that their father had shown. They were unwilling to just give over Benjamin. Think about it. These are the same brothers who committed all kinds of abominations through the scriptures. Remember Simeon and Levi? They had deceived um, uh, the Shechemites uh, after they had defiled their, they had defiled Dinah. Remember that story? And they went out and killed all of them. They just slaughtered them. If you remember, we talked about what a bloodbath that they lived in. Reuben had committed incest with his father's wife, ordered, trying to gain some advantage over their father. Judah was whoring himself around, uh, uh, who, and he impregnated Tamar. And, and they, these were just crazy stories that were going on. What a past that they had had. But what a transformation that had taken place. And that's my hope for all of us, is that God is the one who changes us, and he is the one who transforms us and forms us into the image of Jesus, transforming us to be more like him. Lastly, Judah steps out and says these last things. He says this in 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant for my Lord, let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. There's a commentator who said this, and I want to read it to you because it's really good. He said, here was the eloquence of true love. Love so burningly manifest, so willing to take full responsibility before God. Love which thought only of Jacob and Benjamin. It melted the heart of Joseph. Such love moved Moses to ask God to, uh, to blot out his name from the book of life. Such love prompted Paul to wish himself accursed for his brother if only they could be saved. Judah was transformed by the same kind of love. And the, the people he's referencing is in, in Moses and Paul because Moses' people weren't following him. They were going to be cut off. They were not following God. And, and Moses said, no, do it to me instead. Paul says, I would rather be accursed than to see my people not come and follow Jesus. Cut me off instead. That's the same kind of love 
that was being exhibited here. And so this is quite the transformation for Judah, who was involved with, again, selling his brother. How does this happen? Because God was at work in his life in both visible ways and, in, and, and hidden ways. And this is how God works. There are visible ways that God works in our life, right? There are visible changes that we can see from one another, how we treat, how we speak, how we go about interacting with one another. There are visible ways that we can see that God changes us. And then there are invisible ways. There are secret ways in which God continues to change our hearts. You don't know everything that God's doing in my life. And I don't know everything that God is doing in your life. But if you're a follower of Jesus, our hope is, is that he is continuing and he promises to continue to conform us into the image of Jesus. And so there are some public things that go on in our life that you can see happening. And there are some private things that go on in our life that we just can't see happening. This is what we know was happening with these boys. And now, as God would have it, Judah's willingness to suffer and be a substitute for his brother points us, obviously, to Jesus, someone who would step in and obviously take the punishment in his place. He was pointing us to one who would step in in our place and take the wrath of God. That's, listen, as you read the Bible, that's why we have the Bible. Everything points us to Jesus. This is not some moralistic story about trying to be a better person. This is a story about someone stepping in in our place and taking the wrath of, of, of another in our place. That's what Jesus did for us. That's why you don't have to always stay outside the will or, or outside the, the kindness of the Lord. You will either face the wrath of God yourself or Jesus has faced the wrath of God already in your place. That's your two options. And this points us to that very thing. Listen, what we must also do, church, that we must never, say never. We must never underestimate the transforming power of the grace of God. Never underestimate the transforming power of the grace of God. We've seen him do it in this church with people in our own church family, and he can do it in your life just as well. Just as God was always, say always. God always was always with Joseph and his brothers throughout those 20 years of almost silence. He is today with each one of you. You may think that God is silent. God is not doing anything in your life. Not, God is not moving or shaping or changing or doing whatever. But even in his silence, God is at work. Look, time certainly does not heal all wounds. Some wounds will ache with us until we die. But Jesus promises to meet us in our darkest hour and walk with us to a land where wounds are healed once and for all. If you're full of pain, bring your pain to Jesus. He promises that behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. That's what he says. And because transformation is naturally associated with the gospel. The gospel is about change. The gospel is about making us new. The gospel is about making us alive again. In fact, it begins at conversion. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says this, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The original language uh, says it like this. It's almost like he says, if a man is in Christ, boom, he's a new creation. If a man comes to Jesus, repents and believes, boom, he's new. Things change. Things happen different. 
You become a different man or woman whenever the Spirit of God lives within you, whenever he awakens you to life. He makes us be different people. This is true for every believer. And at the, and at the same time, conversion includes a process of ongoing transformation until Jesus returns. And so at this point, you must examine yourself, each of you. Each of you. If you're watching online, you must examine yourself. If you're listening to my voice right now, you must Examine yourself. Have you become a new creation? Are you being transformed into the image of Jesus? The New Testament calls each follower of Jesus to commit ourselves to transformation. This this is what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. He's talking to believers. He's like, do not be conformed. Do not let the world shape you. So if, if I'm going into the world's system and I, it says, don't let the world shape me the way the world wants to shape me. Do not be conformed to the world. But it says this. Uh, But be transformed, be changed, yes, be changed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It says you need to think about things. You need to think about how we do, how we live. You need to ask for the Spirit to continue to transform us and change us into the image of God. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He writes, church, uh, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means we've got to do something. There's, there's gotta be something in us that we are moving and shaping in and moving toward Jesus, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're like, are those not two different things? Yes, it is. Work out your own salvation because it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. We both do it together. Our role is to engage in the plan of God and for him to conform us to the image of Jesus. That make sense? Engage in the plan of God. That's, that's my, engage, read my Bible, pray, be with other believers, uh, 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 spend some time uh, listening and talking to other believers and, and, and being discipled. That, that's my part of my, God, uh, part of my work, and it is God's job to change me. Okay? God's job to change me. So my friends, just as Judah and his brothers came to see that God was caring for them all the way along, all the way through this, so must you and I. God has always, say always. Always. God has always and still is in the business of transforming his people. So Christians, if you're a Christian and you're here today, our hope at Refuge is for you to continue to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our hope for you. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have gospel community groups. That's why we, and this is not just a one hour a week kind of thing that we do here. We want you to be conformed into the image of Jesus. 
And, and the good news is that the resurrected Jesus has made a way for you to do this, to be transformed and to be changed. You don't have to stay the way that you've always been. You can change. Your life can be transformed. It will be as we continue to follow Jesus and the spirit lives within us. But for those of you who are not Christians, and that's some of you in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, you, can, you have to examine your life and go, is my life look like it's following Jesus? If you're watching online and you have to examine your life and go, does my life any way resemble a, a following Jesus? The good news that I have for you specifically today is that you too can change. God is in the changing business. God is in the transforming business. God is in the saving business. Despite the hidden sins in your life, despite the sins that you committed just last night, despite the sins that you think are too big and God could never forgive you for, God loves you and will forgive all your sins and begin the transformation in you. God does all this through faith in Jesus. The scripture says, by grace, that means the kindness of God, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not of yourself, so none of us can boast about it. I'm a different man today, not through my own, but because the grace of God is changing me. Those of you who are Christians, it is a gift of God that you are saved and you're changing, you're becoming more like Jesus. So none of us can boast about this. The good news is that today, say today. Today, today just like the brothers in our story, you too can be changed, and I would say must be changed by repenting of your sins, putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Maybe some of you, hopefully, for the first time. That's our prayer for you. Let me pray for us.